0: All right, so I am Dan Hagen, and you are listening to Music City Revival. And today, our guest is Liz Shaw. Welcome, how Liz. you doing, dude? I'm doing great, and I'm just gonna tell you some things about Liz. Uh, Liz is an award-winning, chart-breaking music and podcast producer, recording engineer, musician, owner of a Grammy Awarded recording studio. The ToyBoxStudio.com dot com in East Nashville, Tennessee. He's also the host of the number one iTunes podcast, Recording Studio Rockstars.com, and mix engineer for the annual Backstage Bonnaroo, the Hay Hail hey Studio dot com. And in twenty twenty, he led the movement for Save Home Studios in Music City. Right. Uh, which is how we met, right? Yeah,
1: that's actually that is how we met.
0: Yeah and you know that actually the first thing i wanted to talk about is just basically i wanted to ask you about that and you know of of course i was you know involved and supported you when we showed up to a council meeting and and all that kind of stuff and one of the things that i did and i thought that was really important is i spelled out from what i knew from starting to finish your story because i didn't want to take for granted that they knew and i i very possibly they didn't. So I thought it was imp- important for them to. So if you could just tell us, like, summarize that that process of what oh, happened. Oh, so
1: the Safe Home Studio yeah. effort. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll do my best. It was a full five year. Um, you know. Story and mm-hmm. it's still going really yeah. honestly. But um, to to give you the condensed version, in 2015, I had been operating a home recording studio for um, a decade, over a decade actually, um, and I was working with local local artists making records. And I walked up to my ma- mailbox one day and I got a cease and desist letter from the city attendant of, of Nashville, saying you know cease and desist being a commercial studio in a residential. Um, in a residence and so that that led to a process of, of me fighting back against that and saying what i think most of us would have said in nashville which is that's absurd i mean there's home studios all over this is known as music city and so that process for me involved speaking with the press um ultimately connecting with the Institute for justice and the beacon center, which are two nonprofit law firms teaming up with them. And then we went through a long process of doing pushback, which involved me trying to rezone for a year and not being able to do that, not getting that approved with the city and then suing the city of Nashville in defense of my right to be able to work for my home, um, under the Tennessee constitution and then failing at that. And then in 2020, which uh, brings us up, you know, fast forward to now. Um, Dave Rosenberg, one of the council members, had put forward a new bill to say, hey, maybe we should think about legalizing home businesses in Nashville at the beginning of the year. And I got behind that. I said, wow, this is exactly the opportunity we've been looking for all along is to try and change this law for everybody. So the law is or was in Nashville that you could work from home if you got something called a home occupancy permit. But it would be illegal for a customer or a client to come over to your house. So, you know, you can think of all the different kind of businesses that it would be normal to have somebody come to your house. If you want to teach piano lessons, it's pretty heavy to carry the piano over to their house, right? So you might have them come to your house. Um, If you wanted to cut somebody's hair, if you wanted to, uh, you know – Show them the the, uh, the wedding photographs or something in your photography studio, whatever it is. Um, and for home recording studios, it's awfully hard to make a record with somebody if they can't come over and sit in front of your microphones because, you know, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a lot of echo if you've got to record them yeah. playing banjo, you know, a mile from your house. <laughs> Isn't
0: it good to know we're legal right now? We're yeah. operating in a legal, pod, a legal podcast in a home studio. It's amazing. Yeah, believe it or
1: not, you know, yeah. when I got that cease and desist letter, they said, um, you know, if we... That one of the threats was, if we get a, another complaint about you recording anybody other than yourself in your home studio, and that includes podcasting, she threw that in there. Really? Then we will immediately file a warrant and uh, and take you to court.
0: Wow, amazing. Um, so then there was a process at the legislation uh, was presented, and then you led a movement to actually start showing up to the council meetings. And I, and I remember you telling some of us, you know, because I think it was really, I, I'd actually been awakened of this whole, all of this years before I even knew what happened to you. And I think the only lone voice in the desert was Dave Pomeroy. And he yeah. he had addressed the issue, but it was like impossible. And, and, he, and I talked to him, he's like, Dan, yeah, it's, you know, there's, I've tried, I've tried to do, you know, he was the only guy that was trying to do something. And and nobody saw it as a problem because they didn't see faces that you know that this happened to, and then you're the person who put it on the map. But it was a Change.org petition. I think that that from what I saw, that woke up all of Nashville and and really the world because that went viral, like one hundred fifteen thousand signatures very quickly. And you a lot of people raise money too, right? Yeah, I think I, we
1: had about 155000 really? by the end of it. Wow. You know? And so that was what I did when this new legislation was presented by Dave Rosenberg. As I said, I was like, this is the opportunity. I'm just going to drop everything, get behind this, make this my full-time job for 2020 and push this bill forward until we get this thing passed. And that was the first move I did. As yeah. I thought, well, I better find out if anybody else thinks that's a good idea. So let's let's. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah. Well, how about a petition? I've seen those things floating around.
0: Mm-hmm. And and it was incredibly successful very quickly. But that's what woke up your average artist, musician in Nashville, started sharing, you know, all of this. And and then I remember you, you saying, "Hey, I need your support to show up to the council meetings, because the only people that show up are." You know, these retired people and they're angry and they hate liberty and they hate freedom and that's the only their voice to
1: get out of the house, right?
0: And that's the only voice the council hears. So they need to hear from live human beings. Like you you have to make an impression on them. You know, this concept that, that the council isn't just a bunch of greedy, paid off people. They're they're also human beings and and they are responding somewhat. To what the voice of the people, you know, that they see. So you basically said, "Listen, if we're going to pass this thing, I need you guys to show up." And and so what what happened when we showed up? There was some meetings.
1: Well, so every time there was a council meeting or some committee that was meeting that was going to deliberate on this issue, um, we needed to show up to show support. Um, there were, there were public hearings that happened. And at these public hearings, you know, the council would say, whoever shows up and speaks, well, that must be who this matters to. So therefore we're going to listen to them. So like you said, the opposition would show up at these things, these self-appointed, self-organized neighborhood groups that, um, you know, supposedly represented the neighborhoods of Nashville. Um, uh, what was it called? The Nashville Neighborhood Coalition, I think, um, and it was a a fellow named John Summers who put that together but when i went actually to go to their website to say, i was like well if it's a if it's a coalition then why don't i go join it so i can be heard <laughs> you know there was nowhere to join it was it was sort of oh. like a, a front for um representing everybody but you couldn't really join it kind
0: of thing. oh really well I, there was something the most interesting thing i remember seeing that day was an older woman got up there and and she seemed like a nice lady it was probably somebody's nice grandma but she proceeded to say well if this you know passes then the next thing you know we're going to have this guy playing music on the corner and this woman's going to be cutting hair and this accountants going to be doing accounts at her house and we're all going yeah 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 this yeah, sounds, we're saying, right. that sounds like you know, an ideal neighborhood yeah, this sounds wonderful and she goes that sounds like communist russia and i and we all <laughs> our jaws were dropped going wow yeah. wow there is a real disconnect here you know and uh so you know so it did and then you wrote a song right and
1: well, so yeah, so we we had these uh, public hearings, and I needed to get everybody to come out and speak. And I had already spoken a number of times in front of the metro council because I had tried to do a rezoning, and I'd gone to other meetings to talk about this stuff. And so, so when it came up again, and I was like, well, what am I gonna? I've already said the same thing. I'm not just gonna go say that. I thought, well, what should I do different? And I said, well, why don't I write a song this time? You know, I'll put it into a song and play it for the council. So I took you know the the well i actually got together with tommy womack who's a great songwriter here in nashville and we co-wrote the song together called uh we need to work from home and um and tommy you know wrote most of the song and then i sort of uh wrote the bridge in there that said um you know you 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 say you are a friend of the small businessman um oh i gotta think about it here so um so uh uh You know, put away your misgivings because we need customers to make a living. You know, in our homes. And just got up and it was just like a sing along. It was just totally easy, simple song. And and we all
0: sang along, like because this was the first time that you had a group bigger than the opposition right yeah we and, had we, uh,
1: we filled they couldn't nobody else could come into yeah. the courthouse because we were they were blocked we off were, they had unless we somebody full,
0: came out you know? and, and um, this is
1: before this is early 2020 yeah. just for the context yeah yeah, yeah yeah so this is before the pandemic hit and all this and
0: stuff. something that was really in important about the presence of the people that you brought is there was all kinds of people this was not a partisan thing this was conservatives uh you know people that are more on the liberal side of the fence libertarians every kind of demographic because freedom is turns out to be pretty popular you know? yeah i mean
1: it's kind of what i've realized i feel about politics i mean quite honestly in my book politics are bullshit mm-hmm. and that uh, you know in fact um we were talking about um the joe rogan show and i saw elon musk on there and he made a great comment he just pointed out that you know in his view the political issues just sort of fall randomly on either side of this line drawn in the sand between two parties typically and it really it's the only thing that matters is the issues yeah yeah you know? sure oh, and- so, so yeah I, so you make a good point it's like you know the issue of being able to um Uh, to support yourself and work from your home and your home is your castle and you have a right to live the way you want your home as long as it's not bothering anybody else as long as it's not hurting or causing harm to your neighbors you know why can't you do what you want in your own house and live the way you want and work from your house and you know
0: and who would not support that unless you had some nefarious motive right i mean well our people
1: you know one of the biggest nefarious motives right now is just fear
0: yeah, yeah, people
1: just motivate based on fear. They sort of conjure up an image of something that doesn't sit well with them in their heads, and and they just, you know, fight everything based on that. And, so, and that
0: was one of the things that the reoccurring theme, the opposition was saying. They they they're the same people that want to ban Airbnb. They don't like Airbnb and you know part of the you know for some of the older generation they don't like the noise and they say well people are partying and all that. And my argument for that has always been the exact same argument for home studios. There are already noise ordinances on the on the books and you can call the police when somebody is violating those, right. those are already on the books.
1: Yeah. All the things that you people are concerned about, they already, they, they they already exist. They exist,
0: and they can be enforced. And and so you know that's that that. But this concept, even that um, that the government should control how you use your your home and that you can't have a room is it's the same concept. I mean, the, the overall concept is liberty. And, and quite honestly, you own your own home. No little bureaucracy should be telling you what you do in it. And you know, we live in times just you know, whether it be the whether it be an Airbnb thing, whether it be a home studio, whether it be you're an accountant. The difference of of being able to do that work from home and and say not have to you know pay a lease can be the difference whether people lose their home or not, especially in times right now. Um, You know, and these are all the things that are, you know, are not thought about long term. And, and that's the case with this whole scenario, because we were pleading our case to them and the, the can got kicked down the road at one of the council meetings and it, it got rescheduled. And then the tornadoes happened.
1: happen. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The, the whole process, the the comedy of errors that surrounded all these different public hearings and the the obstacles, the absurd obstacles we had to get over, so that one where I sang the song, which yep. which I believe was in March, that one was I think scheduled for March fifth and if I remember correctly, two days earlier on March third, Nashville got devastated by a tornado, so all of a sudden, you know we get wiped out by a horrible and very real um event and and then two days later, I had to you know stir up all this um This, this action and get people to be like, hey, man, here's a big issue. You know, sorry, sorry we got destroyed by a tornado, but you know, what about our ability to work from home? So that was pretty tough, but we still managed to do it. Then the next public hearing came, you know, they pushed it back. They kicked the can down the road. Like you said, we had another public hearing and we needed to get people out again. And this time it was like, we're just getting ready to do it. Oops, we get hit with the pandemic and the entire world shuts down. Now, um, the Metro Council is trying to figure out how to have meetings online that are all digital. They don't know how to do it, but we still managed to get um, some people out there. We were able to go do some speakers in person, and then we had a ton of people call in,
0: um, well, use yeah. the
1: call-in line. So again, we, like, we got over that obstacle, and then they kicked the can down a ro- the road again, and they they push it back to yet another meeting where we have to get people to come out to this thing. I think we had to get people to email in that time, you know, and call in. And then just before, That meeting happened, which was maybe in June, I think, um, it was the Black Lives Matter protest movements and, you know, all this stuff going on downtown, rioting and stuff downtown. And, you know, the, the, the photo that goes live across the world on the AP press or whatever, um, which ironically was the photo taken by uh, John Partipillo, who is the same photographer that came over and took a photo of me trying to battle for my home studio. He takes the photo of the guy who's literally – sticking a flame through the window and trying to light down the very you know light on finding the the very courthouse that we're supposed to be in a week later voting on our ability to wow, save on our I didn't
0: even think about that perspective because i showed up to like a couple of the initial meetings and and wow the the irony of that I mean that that isn't that is that karma
1: <laughs> I don't know but you know uh, fortunately it didn't burn the the courthouse down yeah. and we were able to finally get this thing yeah. you know back on track but, again
0: but, you know the big takeaway irony from that whole thing is we are begging uh, the city council mayor the local government to allow us to work from our homes now but one week later they're telling us you can only work from home because we're closing the whole thing down yeah and 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 i think inevitably that was maybe the thing that sealed the deal no matter what they could never they could they couldn't stand up their consti- to their constituents and say, there's no way that you should be able to work from home now because we were forced to. So that I, that was, I, I, I would say that's divine intervention in a, in a way. Um, but, you know, and and so we got a victory. You got a victory. They passed this thing. It's legal to record in your home studio now. It's, yeah. it's legal. It finally to- happened
1: in Ju- July 7th was yeah. the final night. And we were up till I think they finally came to our um, our bill, which was on third reading. They finally arrived at it at about eleven o'clock at night. And and what was so funny because these meetings were going all night long. Once they went digital, the meeting would go till six in the morning. Remember that?
0: I do remember that. And so you, you have stayed to stay up. up. I all remember night trying seeing to wait to see. like I I I have to be honest, I didn't stay up with you. I went to sleep that night. But I remember waking up the next day and seeing you at like three in the morning or something celebrating. <laughs> or yeah, so six in the morning. I don't and they know
1: finally came was. to our bill at eleven at night. We were like, "Wow, it's so early! This is great!" And yeah. you know, and they talked about it for uh, hours. And one thirty in the morning, they finally voted the thing through. Wow. It was a huge celebration yeah. live on Facebook and all this stuff.
0: Yeah, and you know, one one of these things because since all that happened, we've gotten to to know each other well. I mean, I remember you. You didn't. I met you at a Bitcoin event at your home studio <laughs> years ago. And that's, that's right. the irony of that is I I would say that's more than anything what it made me go, I want to support this guy because I had this visual in my head of how epic this, you know, vintage studio you had. And boy, if that's not worth fighting for, I, I don't know, you know, what is. And so, um, but, you know, We started talking a lot and I remember telling you that we're talking on the phone and I said, you know, just take away music, all this. What you really did is you became a local leader and you showed people, you empowered people and showed them step by step how to actually stand up to your local tyrannical government. And for the, you know, you empowered we, the people, the real government, people forget that the constitution starts with we the people we are the government and i can't stand when people call politicians leaders cuz they're not we're the leaders right but the founding fathers never had this intention that this this document this constitution could get up and it could you know protect you it's only a document with the right tools to protect you but without the people with pitchforks at points you know, that that's the combination that, that has to exip, exist for liberty to exist. Absolutely. So you empowered people. You showed them step by step. And I remember saying, you know, this can be used for other things. And, and I remember you told me that, yes, it can. But, you know, I have to be passionate about something because you believe in music. And I said, I, 100%, I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know? this is
1: like, you know, I, I had a lot of people say to me afterwards, like, yeah, you should run for a president. Yep. You should mm-hmm. run for, you know, state rep and all this yep. stuff and and I thought about I was uh, or city council and I thought you know I'm I'm flattered at the idea and I'd never really thought about that before but I was like well how would I get so you know how, would I wouldn't I have to care about all the boring stuff too? yeah and so, and, uh, you know, and like, all these
0: things could happen to you I could totally see I you could be yeah. the mayor of Nashville in like 4 years I don't who know knows, you know who knows. or 3 years who yeah, knows. I mean I really enjoyed
1: um mobilizing everybody I really enjoyed getting something done getting something done that was important it was a real education for me to go from five years ago being singled out as a bad actor, you know, and getting a slap on the wrist from the city to instead of putting my tail between my legs and just giving up and, and you know, kind of hiding away in the shadows, say, turning that whole thing around and changing the law for everybody to make everybody a good actor, you know?
0: And, and that's how it's done. And honestly, I like – I. um I I think you're a hero, honestly, well, for, thanks, for what you did. No, like seriously. Uh And, you know, the interesting thing that everybody moves directly to, well, you've got to be a politician now. And I kind of say, well, yes, you could. And maybe if that's what your passion is, maybe you will. But I don't think you always have to, because people say that to me all the time. They've been saying that to me for years. But I don't like politicians and I don't like politics. I like being a rebel and a free spirit and an individual and being an entrepreneur So, I don't believe this argument that the only way to make a difference is now where you got to get on the salary and you got to be in the machine. No, how about we empower the people that they are the government, that these are the representatives, and we have to show up to the council meetings? Like, you know, this is a big thing that I've learned in 2020. And I learned it in 2012 because I was a big Ron Paul supporter and, and I felt he was, you know, robbed from the election on a grassroots level. But I realized that, you know, people think that the only way you can make a difference is voting for a president. And I don't really believe that, that who knows whether we even even have the power to vote for, you know, a president, but all that being aside, most tyranny in our lives that happens in our back door happens by way of our governors, our mayors, and our city council. And those are people we have the ability to stand up to and make a difference. And we should, and just not enough people are, but you have shown people a blueprint, uh, you know, and I'll just tell you briefly. I was in a podcast that's really big in in the UK and in Ireland, and a couple months ago, and they were went into a second lockdown, and and I was talking about this story about Save Home Studios, and after the podcast, I I talked to the the woman who interviewed me's husband, who owns a podcast, and he goes, you know, you just described exactly what's happening in you know in in Ireland, in small towns that I'm witnessing this type of tyranny. And and so this is an inspiring story. And and it, it doesn't matter that it's about music. It's the concept that you can get involved. And the first thing is that you sued, right? And right. that's important right. because I'm seeing right now that I, I'm not a big believer in the lockdowns. And, uh, and I have seen... That the greatest victories are happening in the courts. And there's an important thing that you said that I've learned recently is you said the basis of your lawsuit was on the Tennessee Constitution, not the federal constitution. I've realized that we have a pretty good one in Tennessee Mm -hmm. because every state has a different constitution. But we have better protections for the Bill of Rights in the Tennessee Bill of Rights. Then we even do it in the, in, and, uh, in the federal constitution or U.S. constitution. And Gary Humble, a guy from Tennessee stands that I've been following, has, who's very knowledgeable about all this and has a major lawsuit against Governor Lee for the lockdowns because it's violating, you know, the principles of liberty and, in a particular clause that says, um, that, we we should be allowed to have commerce and contracts with businesses, um, you know, and that even in a pandemic or epidemic at no time, should our, you know, rights to do that a bill of rights ever be surrendered, period. And so his lawsuit is based on the merits that uh, of all businesses in Tennessee that, hey, if you have a business, let's say, um, you know, you have a a live music venue. Well, you're going to have contracts with alcohol distributors, food. Um, you know, your sound crew with the the talent. You're going to have contracts with all these people, and to violate those contracts would be a violation of your constitutional rights uh, with you know the the uh, the Tennessee uh, Constitution. And and his whole thing that he said is that. You're going to find a lot of these lawsuits, even in Nashville, local music venues against the local government or, uh, they're, they're on a, they're based on the federal constitution. And, and he said, listen, this is going to be a problem. A lot of these cases are going to lose because the states are going to declare the 10th amendment, which means that the states have sovereignty and basically it will null and void the whole, you know, case. And so the state constitution, Tennessee constitution here, seems to be a better way to do it in court but you know even though you didn't win in in court um I think it is the best means and I, and I've always had mixed feelings of the, about this idea
1: well the the thing that I learned this year that is fascinating about the court system and the ju- judicial system is that there's something called the process of discovery mm. so when you file a lawsuit the the you, you know you file the suit and then it gets accepted. Like we'll go, th- we'll go through this this legal process. And then there's the discovery process, which means that the the um, plaintiff and the defendant are um, obligated to present the evidence for discovery and and bring put forward the evidence. So you can, you know, you you can be compelled to prove your point whether you're the plaintiff or the defendant and in in the rest of the world you know that doesn't necessarily exist i mean if you're if you're talking about um you know organizations that make claims do studies um the media reporting it um the you know uh, opinion pieces writing about it a lot of things can be said, but nobody's really ever compelled to have to prove prove their point and then have that proof be judged either by the judge, if it's just, uh, if the facts are not in dispute or by a jury, if the facts are in dispute. And so the the legal process means that, you know, you've got to, you got to show your cards, you know, you can't just make a claim. And so to me, that's pretty fascinating, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think it really is compelling. And I think that, um, you know, I might have started out with a, with this, sort of idea of like oh my gosh you know someone's suing some somebody or something that just sounds so litigious we're in such a litigious society you hear things like that growing up but then when you realize that that that, that it's a very powerful way to um bring the facts to light so that people can really make informed decisions and I think it's pretty and on record, you know? it's yeah, all on record, record yeah. on
0: public record and and that's what's important. And it was even you know when we showed up to those council meetings, all that was on YouTube, right, and then we could you know post that yeah. on our Facebook page or our social media and and show people and and so just you know putting that on record in the courts, putting it on record at the council meetings, all of these things are you know. Addressing your grievances with your local government, which is everything we're supposed to be doing with the First Amendment, right? So this is the whole framework of everything that we're doing. All, all you're doing is what, you know, the framework of the Constitution was based around is that we are the government, we show up and we know these things. And and we live in a world right now where people think you just pull a little lever for a president every four years and you're done. Right. <laughs> and that's just not how the world works. Or you get, and, you
1: get pissed off. You read the headlines and get a little bit irate. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Complain yeah. on social media. And, and then
0: you attack your family and your friends for not having the same political ideology as you. And
1: but you know you <laughs> you bring up the point of of me getting behind a particular issue and following it through to the finish line. And you know. It, it, I'm just as shocked as anybody that, that I was able to do that. So I, I don't consider myself particularly political individual or particularly knowledgeable about any of these things. I mean, I'm the kid who like fell asleep in history class (laughs) and like civics and I didn't pay attention and, you know, not till I was an adult. I'm like, how does the government work again? You Mm -hmm. know? So I don't feel qualified at all for this stuff other than I do have strong convictions and I'm. I like to follow through on something if I have the ability to do something to make change. But but to your point, this idea of like, oh, if you do something, then you should become a politician and you should do something for everybody. I, I agree. I'd, I'd rather see a world where the people who really understand an issue get behind it and see it through and see changes happen. You know, in my case, I really understood the home studio issue. I also felt like I was in a privileged situation because – I um had teamed up with the Institute for Justice and the Beacon Center so I had a team I had some some backing and some ability to um or a support network I should say you know to to help me navigate this whole thing and I was in a position where it affected me financially but i could also figure out i'm you know I'm a scrappy individual and i i started another online business at the same time to help support myself i was going to figure out ways to survive my way through it and so i felt like i was you know i could see it through to the finish line until we until we beat this thing and i'd like to see a world where other people that feel strongly about an issue can do the same thing when i was Getting all the support for the public hearings. When I was letting you and other people know about, here comes the public hearing. Here's what we need to do. Here's how we do that. I just realized that, like a lot of people, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know. If if I hadn't put that out there and made it known that on this particular date, this issue is going to be up. This is what we need to do about it. They need to vote on it. This vote counts. This doesn't count. You know, we're going to have to do it again at a later date. People wouldn't know about what the process that was going on in government. And, you know, at the city council level and same thing in reverse, it's like if somebody else can get behind an issue and push it forward and then help educate everybody else about when the issue is happening, what we need to do, that's that's where – the real power of politics or, you know, the the real power of the legal legislative system is yeah. government. That's what I'm trying to say. So, the real power yeah. of government is there.
0: What I really like about this is you're just saying, I'm a nobody. I have no specific skills for this in, in a five-year period of time. You figured it out. You took action. And what you just have shown people right now is that anybody can really do this. But you had a specific you, – you focused on your – trade, your skill set, and all the things that you didn't have, funding, you know, because the Beacon Institute, didn't you tell me they cost They're, like $200,000 yeah. to They're represent They're profit so, I, non-profit. so I, did
1: not, I didn't have to um, have any legal expenses yeah. of my own. Because but the, I mean, they spent, yeah. you know, a bunch to to
0: do this. It's thing. important to know that you didn't have to pay for that because... You know this idea of even saying all the things you did and all the time and you know and money is and you know is that the first thing people are going to think is I don't have time to do that. It's a pandemic. I'm trying to feed my family. I barely have enough work. But what happened is that your idea was so good that the universe, God, whatever you want to believe, surrounded you and gave you solutions. You didn't know that they would be there. You just decided. I'm going to fight, and I'm not going to quit until I win.
1: Well, you know, one yeah. of the th- some of the stuff that I had to learn through the process was keeping the message really simple. So, for example, when the home business bill appeared in 2020, I went and I and I heard um, Councilman Dave Rosenberg speak about it in front of the council um, at a public hearing, and I was like, "Wow, this is great! This is what I need to get behind." And I went up. I was all. It, you know like kind of fanboy and i was like hey man nice to meet you i'm Shaw. um you know i'm i started save home studios cuz i had actually sort of created a little bit of a brand around what i was doing related to my lawsuit previous to the bill and i said um you know i'm here representing the the music community and and home studios i really like i'm we want to throw our, our support behind you um you know, what can we do? And he said, and he said to me, he was like, well, you know, I don't know. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. But, uh, but I, you know, I don't know if I really want music to be the face of this bill. (laughs) And I was like, Oh man. And it was, you know, he was just trying to be smart about it. He just saw that, like, he thought it was going to be too easy for, you know, the naysayers to pick a fight with musicians. And so he wanted it to be like, um, you know, a nice old, lady who's doing tutoring or something like that you know yeah. just something really really pleasant and sort of 1950s as the face of this thing and and um and what i learned is so so for me there was a there was some pressure to all oh, this got to include everybody this got to include everybody and i realized as i was doing this i was like you know what i know enough i've learned enough about business and things to know that you need to keep a really simple message and save home studios was a lot easier of a message than trying to talk about like protecting home businesses in general and so i just really stuck to my guns on that and and i really every time i tried to get people to take action i found that the more editing that took place with my message and the more it got simple and simple and simple the better and the more powerful it was
0: that that was absolutely on point point and everything i've learned about in life and you know from the the politician standpoint who's thinking well i've got to be rational and this and that what he didn't factor was the human spirit showing up the resilient human spirit with a song and filling the, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, the, the courtroom with singing and, and, you know, you were in the moment. So I don't know how much you realize this, how many of the council members pulled out their phones and were videotaping <laughs> it happened. They stood up. And they gave us a standing ovation, didn't they? Clap, you know most of them. Yeah, there was them.
1: clapping, and they were waving yeah. their phones. they were kind of they're videotaping, yeah. but also yeah. doing the phone lights like now, a, like lighting candles. lighter. Yeah. You
0: know? explain to me now how an accountant brings that kind of excitement. <laughs> like I mean, their case, you know, the truth you know, is... Whatever, you know. And, but they could, the point is, is that you stuck to your guns, you were right. Yeah. This is Music City. Yeah. If there's a place where we can bring the spirit to win for music, it's here. So you were right. And that also brings up this idea that sometimes when you have a vision, people will come and go, well, this is why you got to do it this way. And sometimes in life, you have to stick to your guns. And the whole world will tell you you're wrong but you did stick to your guns. You kept a, a simple message, and what you also did is you—you know—you can say, "Well, I didn't know anything about this," but what you—you are—is a very successful entrepreneur, you know. And so you're also a very organized guy. Hey, you sent me a uh, email with your short bio, your long bio, photos, and I'm like, this guy's no rookie. He knows what <laughs> he's doing. You showed up today early. You showed us how we should have our mics. I mean, and we're listening to you because you've been doing this a lot longer, you know, than us. But all you did is you took your skills as a leader, as an organizer, as a producer, and you applied it to another system. And it worked just fine. So, you know, and,
1: um. We're musicians, right? We've been appreciating the art of, of careful and edited songwriting. For a long exactly. time, it's the same thing.
0: Exactly, all yeah. the rules
1: that apply to songwriting yeah. apply to making a change. And then we
0: have to sell our songs. We have to get them on social media, play shows, and we have to, you know, and we find out really, you know, quickly if our songs suck, people don't like them, and we get no right. response. And and we we know how to market test things. We know how to relate people. We know how to teach people to you know buy our products and whatever. So you know, you just applied all that. So you know, I, it, it just an incredible victory and um you know it was it was really great because i started this whole music city revival thing as this idea that's now turned into a a label a record label and a podcast and and it was early when i started this that i kind of saw what you were doing and i said i want to attach this thing to this cause and help this guy and help them get to the finish line. And, and, you know, it's always great when you're involved in something, you actually have a victory, right? I mean, like, I'm a libertarian, we don't win anything, you know? Well, actually, that's changing. That's, that's changing. But, you know, in general, um, people listen to you when you have a victory. That's how our our world works. And so it's just an incredible story. And I'm glad to capture. So
1: you're saying now I have to say the right thing? No, no,
0: because all you have to do is be you. No more mistakes. Yeah, no, you, no, you just have to be you, and and that's that's the cool thing about this this whole you know deal. So, and this all comes back to you know. I was I wanted to help you first because I saw your studio. So I. I um, you know, had a, a meeting, you know, with with you recently. And we were chatting at your studio, and, and I was slightly disappointed because everything was taken down. And I wanted to take a, a selfie with your, you know, your studio, but you're doing a process. I wanted you just tell us what are you tell us about your board and you know some of the projects it, it's been on. What are you doing in your with your speaker system and your tuning? What's what's going on there? With
1: yeah, so I'm actually doing a major overhaul in the studio right now. Um, the control room is getting a whole lot of new love. So in, in a studio for anybody who's listening, who doesn't know how it works. You have, you might have a a couple of different rooms. You have something called the control room and that's where you sit with your speakers and your computer and you sort of manipulate the sound and mix it. And then you might have through the wall or through some glass, if you want to look into the other room, the live room, and that's where the, the musicians would go and the microphones and where you record things. And so I'm doing an overhaul in the control room, and uh, my control room is where I also have a mixing console that is really unique. So I have a custom-built MCI console. Now, a console is like a huge – well, I do not say too huge, but it's it's like a big dining room table piece of furniture that – runs sound through it, and you have uh, what are called faders, which you move up and down, and that's sort of how you adjust your levels for the sound, and you can equalize the sound to change the bass and the high end and things like that. And this particular console originally was built in 1969, and it lived in Criteria Studios all through the 1970s down in Miami. Um, it was built by G. Parne,d and it was it went into the newly constructed Studio C there, which was um, ultimately designed by uh, Mac Emmerich and um, Tom Dowd. So Tom Dowd was a Tom very Dowd. famous engineer wow. and, and producer who worked a lot out of Criteria Studios. And so this board went into the studio, and Studio C is where the BGS were making their records. It's where the Eagles went to make um, Hotel California.
0: So Hotel California was recorded Hotel on that Hotel
1: California was, was entirely made on my console. Yeah. Wow.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. Wow.
1: And um, and Staying Alive and Saturday Night Fever, um, the entire soundtrack to the movie Grease was done on there. So really? you know, John Travolta, Living New wow. john singing through the
0: console. That's amazing. Now,
1: technically, they may have sent the tapes up to New York or something. I don't know. But they probably went down there to sing it, you know. Um, it, it also recorded um, Margaritaville, really, which I think was part of the part of Margar- Margar- Margaritaville was done in Studio C down there. Um, it did um, Average White Band, it did Eric Clapton, 461 Ocean Boulevard. So I shot the Sheriff. His version was recorded on there. Um, We're an American Band by Grand Funk Railroad. Was recorded on there. Do you think I'm sexy, Rod Stewart? Just, just like uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Just like an endless string of hit records. And then it left Criteria, and you know, in the '80s, sort of ended up in a garage space somewhere. And then um, was uh, found again and rebuilt. Um, And when I found it, it was up in in uh, Long Island. And, um, Joe Tuffarelli was the name of a guy who, um, and Bill Titus, I think was the engineer that, that rebuilt the console. So anyway, I, it ended up with me finally, um, where it's been for a decade, uh, 15 years now in my studio. And so I'm, I'm keeping that console. The plan is to keep the console. I know this sounds like a crazy thing to even suggest, but I'm trying to redesign my control room so that it has an incredible sound to it, listening back on the speakers, but that it's also very ergonomically friendly for me to work. And now when we make records, a lot of what we do is, you know, 99.9% of what I do is clicking with a mouse and a keyboard and manipulating the sound in the computer. So, um, so I'm trying to interface the console where I can do both that and use the sound of the board. Now, as far as the speakers go... I'm installing what's called a Phantom Focus system, and this is from a designer named Carl Tatz, who has uh, been designing studios for decades here in Nashville, and he has developed kind of a turnkey, um, all-in, all-encompassing. Control room design system where it's his speaker design and his crossover amplifiers and processing stuff and subwoofer selection. And he installs the entire thing. Into my control room and sets it up and the speakers are going to be laser aligned and bolted to the floor when this thing's done.
0: What does laser aligned mean? I,
1: laser aligned. Aligned. I, do, I don't even know. It just sounds is this cool. Is some kind Doesn't
0: of like it? Star Trek beam me up, Scotty? Yeah, kind I like of to thing. picture
1: the um, you know one of those scenes from like a James Bond movie where you have to like. Do like <laughs> acrobatics to get through the the laser alarm <laughs> yeah. system or oh, something yeah. to sit yeah. out in my my mixing well, chair. Well, that will and work. weed out the
0: talent really quickly, <laughs> you know, at your studio.
1: But um, um, but his speaker system sounds just incredible. There's there's some other studios here in Nashville where I've been able to go hear it, and you know, in my experience, it's the greatest sound I ever heard coming out of a pair of speakers. If you close your eyes, you can't tell where the speakers are. Yeah. you just hear this three dimensional sound in front of you. That is, you know, as wide as you can imagine from the left to the left and the right, and it's twenty feet. It, it, I described it the first time I heard it as listening to music come out of a twenty-foot wall of granite in front of you, um, because the low end is so powerful and so clear. It goes right down. Do you remember the movie um, Jurassic Park yeah. when they, you know, when the when the dinosaurs come in and the and yeah. the ripples on the on the yeah. the puddle? Yeah, you're gonna hear those. You know, wow. those footsteps on this. System. So
0: it, it, it's going to be great for soundtracks too, because that's one of the things you just mentioned in a soundtrack, you know, thinking about that. Yeah. So, w- what is your approach to recording? Are you a guy that likes to have live musicians in a room and capture a performance, or are you flexible for projects? What was your ideal situation? How was your approach
1: to well, recording? Well, I, I really, as a music lover, I love all kinds of music, and so I can really appreciate. A wide variety of records that are created, whether they're, you know, recording, um, you know, horsehair string instruments in uh, Tuva, you know, and throat singing or something like that and field recording or whether it's, um, you know, a, a bluegrass ensemble or whether it's a rock band. I mean, my favorite stuff is probably indie rock. I like to say it's like a band that probably has two guitars, bass, drums, maybe some keyboards and singing and harmony, and there's probably some distortion on the guitars. And the lyrics are probably, are hopefully not cliche. That's, that's how I would yeah. describe my favorite kind of Like projects.
0: indie stuff. Yeah, like indie stuff. Band, indie band type of projects that's some of your favorite kind of
1: stuff. I mean, you know, like if I could ever make a record like Pavement did, I would be pretty happy about it, you know. Cool. Um But at the same time, I'm also a super fan. I'm like I'm like a closet DJ wannabe who would love to interview um you know skrillex and killed the noise on my podcast because i love those those kind of records and those kind of sounds and you know the ways that you can like that kind of music yeah. is all about interfacing with the computer whereas a band like pavement or a band like an indie rock band is all about interfacing with five people in a room and just like creating by playing your instruments yeah. together and that's that's mostly my favorite i'm a, I'm a guitar player first
0: yeah uh, so you made a transition in the podcast, which is where I, I wanted to kind of go is just, you know, tell us a, a little bit about your podcast. How did you get involved with Bonnaroo? And, and I, I was looking at just a, a list of like artist credits and just, you know, um, first one that Abigail Washburn and Bailiff Fleck, um, yeah. Annie DeFranco, Band of Horses, Ben Harper, Blues Traveler. Coheed and Cambria, Colonel Bruce Hampton, Death Cab for Cutie, Donovan Frankenrider, G-Love, Jillian Welch, KS Rhodes, Madeline Peru, you know, on and on. Um, how did you get involved with that whole situation, and, and what, what were you doing there? So
1: you're talking about those those credits all uh, primarily come from my hay bale studio okay. at Bonneroo. Okay. So in 2005, I was brought into a local studio here a place called alex the great and i was asked to come engineer a session and it was a producer who brought um uh let me think about who was it it was um um a couple of different artists gomez was one of them and um and they were coming into the studio to record together and they were going to do a cover song and i just i basically was the engineer and i just kicked ass. I mean, I'll be honest, I just like I was excited to do it. I really poured my heart into it. And the session went great. And at the end of the session, I think the producer was impressed. And these guys were out of Asheville, North Carolina. And they were interfacing with um, Ashley Capp's music and the Bonnaroo Festival. And they they were um, Sean O'Connell was the producer on that. And he was integral in bringing The radio compound to the bonnaroo festival which is just a massive music festival uh, about an hour south of nashville happens every year in june except for in 2020 so hopefully we'll be back again next year um but he would bring the radio compound and then they started bringing in musicians and they said um you know we want to do what typically happens on radio is a band or an artist comes in and pulls out an acoustic guitar and plays a couple of songs and we're gonna be playing tonight at you know at the arena come come check out our show. Here's one of our acoustic songs for now um but he wanted to really step it up into a full studio, so he said, you know, hey, we were thinking about you know bringing an actual recording studio down to the Bonnaroo festival. you know, here's the budget for it. do you think you can do that and of course, I was like. Hell yeah. <laughs> of course I can, you know. Yeah. So I took that uh, that budget the first year and I teamed up with one other guy and we just like you know, tore my studio apart and all the instruments and and packed it all into a minivan and another car and drove down there and set it back up inside a double-wide trailer on location backstage at the Bonnaroo Music Festival. And when we got there, Sean, when he was showing me the lay of the land, and everything he was like, he was like, oh, by the way, I had this idea. You know, I noticed there was like a farmer over here and he had a whole bunch of hay bales. He was like, would that help out with the soundproofing you think? And I was like, that's brilliant. You know, so of course we, from, you know, year one all the way through the finish line would surround this recording studio with hundreds of bales of hay and we didn't case it. So when you walked up to the studio down there, it looked like a giant bale of hay with doors coming out of the side and a couple of little stairs coming down. Hence and
0: the name. Hence yeah. the
1: name, yeah. So so I did that for 15 years at the Hay Bale Studio. And each year during the four-day festival, we might have um, up to 40 bands come through the door. Each band's only one hour. They walk in. It's like, what do you got for instruments? Great. You know, we'll do a, a 10-minute sound check. And then they just start playing their song. I said, what's the name of the first song? And they start playing and I'm in headphones in the other room with the console just mixing it in real time while they perform it and we would record and then we would immediately record mix and master three songs in an hour and then it'd be uploaded to radio and so we did that for 15 years and you know well over a thousand songs recorded with hundreds of artists and it was just a really fun time it was That's a blast amazing
0: and clearly that takes your career to another level from contacts you've made and and credits and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, it all came from being an entrepreneur, having an open mind in right place, right time. Right. I mean, yeah. And I mean,
1: for me, a, a big lesson was just learning to move quickly and let go and, uh, understanding that preparation is going to get you a lot further than post production.
0: Sure. And, you know, one of the things, and, and this is like, I feel like my whole life as a musician, producer, or entrepreneur, musical director, my whole life is people, you know, either me creating an idea of something that I, I I imagine and then I have to like pull it together or people like, you know, giving me offers for something and and I say yes, <laughs> even though I'm like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off, but this situation was a unique situation for you, but you figure out how to do it and, and you're able to accommodate all these different situations because you've worked in the studio as an engineer producer. Um, so now in terms of podcasts, you've got a number one, number one iTunes podcast. Tell us about your podcast. And I, I know I've, um, you know, I've always, when there's Nam show or something, you're doing a podcast and you're, the last NAM show, I remember that you were talking to other podcast people, and I listen to that podcast, and I've learned a lot, and you're actually one of the inspirations to help me follow through doing this, what we're doing right now. But I
1: apologize how- in advance, man, sorry. <laughs> you don't know what you're in for. Yeah. No, so podcasting mm-hmm. for me goes back to you know 2010 or something. Um, actually, if I went all the way back to about 2007 or 2006, one of the local artists I worked with was uh, a guy named Will Kimbrough who's a great um, Americana songwriter, singer, guitar player, um, and talented dude. And and I remember we were recording, we were mixing his record, Americanitis, down in my basement because I was building my new studio and, you know, it was sort of in transition. And then he's like, oh, hold on, I got to take a break. I got to do my podcast. And he went over and took, borrowed a mic and just like talked into it for 10 minutes and upload. I was, I was like, what? What's a podcast? What was that? Well... Fast forward, and once podcasting really started to grow, I think about two thousand and twelve you know two thousand eleven in that time frame, I had my studio, and I was like, "I really need to learn more about business. I need to understand how to survive and, and run a business for my studio i 'm making records i don 't want to just do this for a hobby anymore and um, and so I started looking at podcasts and listening to them to learn about business, and there 's a ton of great ones out there. And I discovered some people like, um, Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and the, and, and listened, like just devoured their shows, you know, like Pat Flynn's show. I went back, I, I, I discovered it and I was like, oh my God, these are great. So I went back to episode one and I listened all the way through so 70 or 80 episodes to try and like, you know, cons- like binge watching Netflix, but yeah. for podcasts. And so I really, I really saw how much fun it was to do that. And the message I was getting from the business ones was like, you can do this too. You can take whatever you're interested in and you can create a podcast around it. You can create an online business aspect to what you do. To- Based on your passion, there's a lot of opportunity out here. And that got me really excited. So I was already primed for wanting to start my own podcast and I wanted to do something about the studio and connect all those dots and, you know, um, sort of connect. I also saw it and I was like, well, I do audio all day long. I should know how to record voices and do a podcast, you know. Um, But the first opportunity that actually came along for a podcast. Was something you mentioned earlier, which was bitcoin
0: and I was going to bring up bitcoin i 'm glad you I wanted to go there I was like that 's the last thing I want to be able to talk about, but you were on the forefront of Bitcoin because even before I got into bitcoin I, I was at that meeting at at your studio, and i hadn 't got you know into it yet. We had a mutual friend it wasn't until several years later, and now I have dipped into it. And as much as I'm first probably a precious metals guy, gold and silver, I absolutely believe in Bitcoin. And I can't wait for it to dip down again so I can jump more into it. Yeah. But, to, but yeah, go go ahead. Well,
1: so what happened was um, I got introduced to it uh, by a friend of mine who I had been recording some voiceover stuff with in my studio. And then, you know, he said, hey, let's go to the first Bitcoin meet, meetups happening. Uh, actually, he introduced it to me. On a Friday, I was like, "Wow, that's fascinating." This is in 2012 or whatever when this this um, one of the the bull markets, one of the peaks, had happened. And uh, and I went back home that weekend and I just devoured YouTube videos on like, "What's Bitcoin? What's it all about?" And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." I I I really like somehow I can connect the dots in my head between this new technology and what it means for money and how that all adds up and makes sense. And so on Monday. I told him, I was like, man, I want some, I want some Bitcoin, you know? And so he came over and, um, and he, he was like, well, I'll sell you some. And, and so I got a little bit, I think I had a, a silver, um, drinking cup, a goblet that like came from my grandfather or something like that, that I, I didn't need, or I didn't want to keep it for some reason. And so I sold it to him and then, um, you know, Got a little bit. It was great. And then the next day we went to a Bitcoin meetup, it was the first one in Nashville. And it was like tables and tables of, of, you know, everything from guys in, in tie dyes who looked like they were, they were just, you know, uh, programming computers all day to guys in suits and ties who were coming from, you know, uh, investment firms or something. It was just this kooky collective of people. And I thought it was really fascinating. And as we left, I was like, man, we got to find some podcasts to learn more about this. And so um, then I found one that was called uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin, was a network and a show. Um, and I sent it over to to John. And then the next day he comes back to me and he's like, hey man, they're doing a podcast contest. They're doing a contest for people to like create their their own podcast and and enter and you know enter this contest. We should do it. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. But uh, but unfortunately, we discovered this on a you know Thursday afternoon, and and I was like, when's the deadline? He's like, it's tomorrow night at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to say like most normal people would have been like, oh well, it's too bad we didn't know about that. We could have probably done something. Fortunately, we weren't that smart. We Stay were like, <laughs> let's do it, you know. So we went out, and um, uh, you know, our first thing was like, uh, you know, my thought was like, let's go do a man on the street, you know, do interviews. So I took my iPhone and um. Went to uh, – well, John took his little portable recorder, went around to some coffee shops and asked people, like, what, what do you think about Bitcoin? You ever heard of it? You know, get, get some responses. I took my iPhone to the Super Walmart. And I just went around to strangers in the parking lot and in the Walmart. I was like, Excuse me, you mind if I ask you a question? I got a radio show and, and I wanted to uh, ask you a question about Bitcoin. I was like, Have you ever heard of Bitcoin? And then I just get people's kooky responses. And the the best one was like a lady's walking in from the parking lot. She's like, Bitstrips. I heard about Bitstrips. That's on Facebook or something like that. <laughs> so we, we did all this. And, and then. um. We invited somebody from the meetup to do an interview. And then we stayed up all night. We pulled an all-nighter and and John made um, homemade eggnog. This was a little before Christmas. And we um, assembled the whole show. You know, we needed a name for it. We were looking for a name. I had all this music for my band. I was like, we need music and theme songs. So let me go see what what of my band's records we can use. And there was this one where I opened up with a fiddle part. And the song was called Gravy. And I started thinking about it. I was like, gravy, gravy bitcoins that sounds like biscuits and gravy i was like bitcoins and gravy <laughs> so that we ended up coming with the name for the show and i knew a little bit about you know how to make a website and get a domain name so we quickly did that and got a logo and boy i'll tell you by the time friday night rolled around you know we'd done it all nighter and i'd edited this stuff and we had a pilot episode and we turned it in and we ended up winning the contest for the editor's choice award Wow. So um, I know that's a long story to answer yeah, no. that, but, but it was just a fun moment. And, um, and we got invited to do a weekly show on their network. And I did that for 80 months. We did 30 episodes and I did that for eight months. Did I say 80? I did it for eight months, okay. eight months. Um, and it was pretty amazing. I mean, we got like written up in the wall street journal. We got um, written up in the local papers. We got, uh, we did 60 interviews with people all around the world. And, the, the funny thing was, um, in my mind, I was like, we need to really turn this into a business. Well, unfortunately, the partnership completely fell apart and crumbled and was a disaster. And never um, we never formed any kind of business around it. And I had to just quit the whole thing <laughs> and drop it no. like, like a bad idea, you know, um, eight months later. But it was just a fascinating experience for me. I learned a ton about it. And then... As I let that go and finally moved on to do other things, that's when I finally took seriously what I really wanted to do was was do a podcast about making records and making music. And that led to recording Studio Rockstars, which is my show now that's been running for five years.
0: That's awesome. You know, I'm just like all of this and I'm just I'm just to summarize, I feel like what I see in you is you're an idea guy. You're an idea yeah, guy fault, and and you're a follow through guy. And and you're an organized guy, and and those are all the tools that make you a, a vast entrepreneur with multiple income streams. And I think it's really important to hear from somebody like you because I feel like that's the reality people in the arts are going to have to you know grasp because. I like to say the old music industry is a, a bunch of old guys arranging chairs in the Titanic, you know, and, nice. uh, and, and we're going to have to think w- new ideas, new ways to do all of this. And, and I like how you parlayed the whole podcast with music. And, and you, you told me you have like nine sponsors now. And so seven, at seven. Point, yeah, okay. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's a way to amplify all the things that you, you know, you want to educate uh, people about in the world and to promote the things that you do in your businesses. And so it's, uh, you're a great inspiration altogether, and I'm really grateful for your time here today. I'm glad we did this, and you're an inspiration for this podcast. So,
1: well, thanks. I, babe.
0: I appreciate the fact that you're your podcast episode five.
1: Well, uh, thanks for having me, dude. It's a yeah. pleasure. And, and uh, you know, wish you great luck with this show. And podcasting's fun,
0: it's, it's a it. lot of fun. Any websites you want to, I mean, kind of went over them, but just sure.
1: To... Yeah. Um, If you want would like to check out my podcast, just go to recordingstudiorockstars.com. rockstars.com. Um, if you'd like to take a look at my recording studio, go to thetoyboxstudio.com. And if you're curious about um, those hay bale recordings and those sessions, that's actually on the studio website, but it also has its own domain name called thehaybalestudio.com. And uh, and then lastly, if you're curious about the home studio stuff, um, saving home studios, savehomestudios.com
0: fabulous and we are musiccityrevival.live that's where you can hear our episodes as well as on iTunes and soon some of our episodes on YouTube and we thank you for your time today Liz.
1: I got one yeah, question yeah. for your audience yeah. if you guys are curious about doing a podcast what is your passion and what would you make a podcast about drop and drop a comment in below and let us know
0: right awesome thank you so much Liz. we appreciate it all right thanks Dan cheers all right.